0: Hello, welcome to Alps in Brief, the podcast that comes to you from the historic Florence Building in beautiful downtown Missoula, Montana. I am really excited about uh, our, our guest today. I have heard her speak and uh, have uh, read a, a book about her. Uh, and let me just share. Our guest is Sherry Davidoff, the CEO of LMG Security. And I believe Sherry isn't that that is uh, short for Lake Missoula Group, is it not?
1: it's true we're named after yeah. the lake that we're sitting at the bottom of <laughs>
0: for those of you it's, it's worth looking up in uh wikipedia or google something to get a little history of lake missoula that's that's a whole nother story uh but sherry is a uh, noted speaker trainer white hack white excuse me hat hacker and author of the recently released book data breaches crisis and opportunity As a recognized expert in cybersecurity and data breach response, Sherry has been called, and I love this, a security badass by the New York Times. That just, I just think that's fantastic. She has conducted cybersecurity (laughs) training for many distinguished organizations, including the Department of Defense, uh, the ABA, uh, the FFIEC, the FDIC, and, and many more. She is also a faculty member at the Pacific Coast Banking School and an instructor for Black Hat, where she teaches her Data Breaches course. She is also the co-author of Network Forensics, Tracking Hackers Through Cyberspace. It's an Apprentice Hall publication uh, uh, out in 2012. Uh, and this is a noted security text in the private sector and a college textbook for many cybersecurity courses. She is also a GIAC certified forensic examiner, a penetration tester, and holds her degree in computer science and electrical engineering from MIT. She has also been featured as the protagonist in the book *Breaking and Entering*, the extraordinary story of a hacker called Alien. And uh, so, welcome, Sherry. And I can say I love the book. The, uh, <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, Mark. It's it, it
0: was a lot of fun. It was a good read. So, okay. what uh, you and I have been visiting about in terms of just uh, having a conversation today? Obviously, in light of all that has happened in recent months with uh, with COVID nineteen, global pandemic, uh, and this uh, this fallout of uh, a, a very rapid move into working uh, from home, did not overlook uh, lawyers. Uh, you know, many many had to immediately uh, jump and, and try to figure out how to how to make this work. And it it seems some were were pretty successful at that. Others, you know, a few struggles, but they got there. But what I really want to focus on is is the security side, the security piece of this. Um, I I think remote security uh, is is exposing not only lawyers, I think businesses of all shapes and sizes uh, to unexpected are perhaps a broadened uh, way, uh, broaden their, their risk, their exposure, just because we have at times home systems. Um, and I guess initially, would you agree, is, is the remote work setting a concern for you?
1: Well, absolutely. There is an expanded attack surface now that so many people are working remotely. And I'd say that's for two reasons. Number one, because many people have moved to the cloud or have started uh, logging into work remotely and therefore poked holes in their firewalls and things like that in order to facilitate it. And everybody did what we needed to do to keep going and to keep business uh, up and running. And that's fine. I'm here to tell everybody it's all fine. Um, Our goal is progress and not perfection. But now is the time to step back and think, you know, what do we do? And start cleaning things up, start thinking about how do we sustain this potentially long term? Because I think remote work has been here for a while and has definitely ramped up and is here to stay. Um, And the other reason why the attack surface has expanded is because a lot of people are using personal devices for work more than we ever have before. And so all of a sudden you have sometimes very sensitive data on your personal device that you also share with your kids or your friends and you play games and this and that. And there's a different risk level that we have in our personal lives versus uh, what's appropriate when we're handling this very sensitive information. So we have to balance those issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I like uh, sort of two comments here briefly. The uh, initially, I, I like that you say we, we lawyers haven't done anything wrong. In other words, by my transitioning, um, you know, and it's all I because it's so tempting to try to scare the bejesus out of everybody and say, oh, you're not doing, you know, but they did what they needed to do and now is the time because I, I think you're absolutely right uh, you know this work from home um, evolution uh, in terms of the, the rapid uh, rise of it uh, it is here to stay in a lot of ways and so now it's it's time to uh, say not not oh you've done anything wrong or you're bad but that's just try to how do we t-
1: make it sustainable and not get hacked all the time? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I want to come back to here a little bit down the road, but I, I do really appreciate the, the comment of personal devices. And I, I, I think that's worth exploring a little bit. Where I'd like uh, to start, if we may, and I I don't know if, if you agree or disagree with this, but even again today, I have come across additional articles talking about an exposure that is, I, I think for so many flying under the radar. Uh, and, and that is simply the wireless access points, the routers and whatnot that, that, that all of us typically have in our homes. Um, and do you feel that is, is that an overblown risk? Um, would you have any thoughts about some basic things that, that uh, staff and lawyers should be thinking about?
1: Well, it depends where you are. You know, I used to live in the middle of Boston and there were a zillion people around my house all the time. Now I live in the middle of Montana and (laughs) wireless uh, security is always important, but less of a concern. So first of all, consider physically where you are and who have physical access to that wireless network. Um, and absolutely, you know, your network is only as secure as the devices are on it. And we've seen time and time again that if a computer gets infected, it will try to infect all the devices around it. So if you have a neighbor uh, that, you know, starts using your wireless network and they happen to have a computer that's been infected, that could absolutely cause risk for the systems yeah. on your network as well.
0: Very good. Uh, and and thoughts about are there any just practical steps you think folks might be able to take to, uh, minimize that likelihood.
1: Sure. Well, as we were talking about ahead of time, um, there have been a number of vulnerabilities in common routers and wireless access points. So Mm -hmm. step number one, make sure that your software is up to date, your firmware is up to date on those devices. And you can do that either, sometimes they have an app that's paired with your smartphone, so you can update it that way, or you can go into the device itself in the administrative interface and do updates. So every now and then, you know, sit down, have a glass of wine, whatever, update your router. It's fun, it's easy. Um, And change that password. Uh, make sure that the password is not a default. That it's secure. It's not your phone number or your address because guess what, people know that. Um, and also that the um, the name of your wireless network is something that does not draw attention to you. Uh, that it's a little bit under the radar, boring. Make your network yes. look boring.
0: I like that. I like really that. Really
1: slow wireless. That's what you <laughs> should call it. Nobody will want this.
0: You know, and I think your uh, your idea of maybe having a glass of wine to do this isn't isn't a bad one, because mm-hmm. there have been times where I've been trying to do some things in terms of... I, I, I take security very, very seriously because I've been telecommunicators. Right. And, uh, boy, there are times when certain things aren't as easy as they should be. And just instead of throwing the computer, you could have a little sip and just relax. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. risk
1: is your job at ALF, so I can imagine that it's something you take seriously That's right. That's right. Um,
0: For a moment, let's just say that I am a lawyer. Uh, I, I'm the, uh, the owner of a, of a small firm, couple of staff. And we have, you know, made this transition out and, and everybody's at home for the time being. Um, may or may not be coming back. We'll just see how this all evolves. But as the, as the owner of this uh, small business, what kinds of things really should be on my radar that, that may not be? What what should I think about?
1: Yeah, the number one thing to think about right now is two-factor authentication. And I know that's a big word. I cannot even tell you how important that is because we are living in a world today where all of your passwords have been stolen. Just assume that because if you get a virus on your computer, it's going to steal all your passwords first thing before you even know it. And you are not fooling anybody by keeping it in a Word document with a totally different name. I know that it's there and so do the criminals and they're just going to grab it. Um, The other thing is if you reuse passwords on different websites and one of those websites gets hacked, criminals have automated tools that will try your password in like a zillion other websites. It's called credential stuffing attacks. And Akamai, which is um, a big tech company, reported that there were 61 billion credential stuffing attacks just in the past 18 months. So assume somebody's going to steal your password. You're not going to know about it because that company may not even know they have a data breach. Or if they know, maybe they'll report it to you like six months to three years later. Um, And in the meantime, you need to protect your accounts. The FBI recently reported that the number of business email compromise cases is going up because of coronavirus. Scammers are using tactics to try to trick people out of their money. So they're breaking into email accounts. They're finding examples of invoices or payments or things like that. And they're saying, oh, due to coronavirus, that bank (laughs) account is uh, being audited. And I really, really need these funds. Please send it to this other place. So you should guard your email account like it is gold, because it is, you have valuable information in it. And remember with lawyers, information is your business, right? If it's valuable to you or if it's valuable to your client, it is valuable to a criminal, they can leverage it somehow. So protect that email account like it is gold. And your email account can also be used to reset your password unlike anything else. And the criminals know that, so they're after your email.
0: That's a great point, that, that really is. Um, can you take just a moment or two and, and explain just a bit more about what you mean by two-factor authentication? Uh, I'm not sure that everybody in our audience, I, I think a lot do, but I, I know that there are, there are more than a few that really don't understand. And, and I assume we talk about this. You're really saying we, we want to use this if we can in any and every setting. So email yes. account, bank account. Yes.
1: Cloud. Um, you need
0: it: Right, right but can you just share just a little bit more to make sure everybody's with us?
1: Absolutely, this is my favorite question, Mark. Thank you so much. So two-factor authentication is what you need to know. Authentication means uh, how we verify someone's identity. So online, you might have your identity verified with a password. Passwords are dead to me now. Um, In the real world, you might verify your identity with your driver's license, right? Two-factor authentication is when you use more than one method of verifying someone's identity together, and it makes it a lot less likely that your account will be broken into. And you might not know it, but we use two-factor authentication all the time. I don't know if you can think of a place where you use two different methods of verifying yourself.
0: Well, the, the, the one that comes immediately to mind to me is just, you know, a debit card. yeah, an ATM machine.
1: I'm giving you a prize. I have to rummage through my swag and drop it off at your office. Absolutely, yes. You're the only person I have ever uh, worked with who's gotten it right off the bat. But yes, your debit card. And when ATMs first came out in the 60s, they did not all have a pin number associated with them. You, you were in England, you'd get ah. your punch card. And if okay. you lost that punch card, some criminal could pick it up and get your money. And it actually took over a decade before all the ATMs in the world had pins. But now, if you Maybe had I a choice, it. if your bank said, oh, you don't need a pin on that ATM card, how would you feel about it?
0: I would have a problem with that. Yeah, I would have
1: a problem with it. Yeah. And it's gonna be that way on the internet pretty soon. People will be like, really? You don't have two-factor authentication? That's so dangerous. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I can give you some examples of what you can use for 2FA if you want. Sure. Okay, so when you're logging into your email, for example, some of you are probably familiar with uh, the case where you get a pin on your phone, right? Like you log in and it sends a pin to your phone. That's better than nothing, but it's not the best because those are not encrypted. Um, I don't know if you've heard of SIM jacking attacks where attackers can take over your phone uh, or they can get your phone over sent somewhere else. So those are not the best. What's better than that is an app on your phone, like Google Authenticator, which is free, or Microsoft's Authenticator. And it'll show you a code that you type in, or even better, it'll just pop up a message that says, do you want to authenticate? Yes or no, is this, you know, acceptable? And so you type in your password, and then you hit yes, or you type in your code, and then you get in. And so the criminal actually needs your phone and your password in order to get in. And that is so much safer than just a password.
0: And I want to follow up. You had talked uh, as we started this discussion a little bit about, you know, they're into your email and they're capturing your passwords and, you know, and it just, and, you know, one of the things I want to underscore uh, for our listeners is that there's, you don't know they're in your system monitoring and capturing all this stuff. You know, I, I still run into a lot of people who say, well, I've never been hacked because, you know, The computer still works, and uh, there's no you know know, nobody's going to send you a thank you card for doing something silly and say we've been in and you know thank you we we got all this. But you made the comment about passwords, and one of the things that um, I hear from time to time, uh, as I talk about password policies, you know, long passwords, passphrases, complex passwords, those kinds of things, and and the the pushback you always get. how in the world do I remember all this? And you know, your comment of uh, a Word document is absolutely not the way to do this, but um, I have talked about password safes. Um, and one of the questions that comes up from time to time is, well, here I am putting all of this information into a file. And, it's, and sometimes these safes, you know, I have one uh, iron key that's a you know, jump drive, but they're also cloud-based. And, um, what are your thoughts about the security of that? You know, because I had a lot of pushback of people saying, uh, well, how in the world can that be safe if they're hacking in? And, you know, I, I certainly have my thoughts about it, but I'd love to hear from your, I mean, you do the pen testing. You know, how reliable are these password safes in terms of helping us try to be as secure as we can?
1: Yeah, so you're probably thinking, well, why would I want to put all my eggs in one basket? And yeah. then the attackers know they're going to attack that basket, exactly. right? The reality is that it's more complex than that because first of all, that basket, um, LastPass, Dashlane, 1Password, you name it, they are especially designed to be hardened against attacks. For example, if they're they're resistant to the common attacks, they're constantly researching it, and if they autofill a form for you, um, they're using different hooks in the operating system that make it harder for the attacker to grab that compared with a regular web browser, for example. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, I use Password Manager not just for their ability to store passwords, but for their ability to generate passwords. Yes. And that's perhaps even more important. You right. need a unique password for every single website. Maybe not like the really junky ones that you like don't, don't have anything important in them, but most people underestimate the importance of an individual account. Ideally, you want a totally different login for each website because you never know which website's going to get hacked, right? And the human brain is not designed to remember 20 billion passwords. I mean, it's probably all we can do to remember like three passwords. And so then you get people picking the password fluffy 1984, like their dog and their kids, (laughs) uh, which people can totally guess. Or, um, you know, spring 2018 bicycles. And then that changes to summer 2018 when you have to change it. And the hackers are on to you. They have automated tools that will Automatically try different variants on your favorite passer that they have already captured. They'll put an exclamation point at the end, they'll put a one and then a two and then a three and then a nine and a ten. And they'll change spring to summer in 2018 to 2019. So those ways that people modify their passwords are not very secure. So use your password manager. Use two-factor authentication on it if it's in the cloud. And if you hear, uh, you know, LastPass, for example, was actually hacked several years ago. Yeah. And what happens in that case is you want to change at least your master password. If right passwords but it is so much better than keeping your passwords in a file on your computer because people get their computers infected so frequently and that's like the first thing that goes out the door the criminals are automatically stealing your files and then you won't even know you've been hacked until your money's been missing or a spam email goes out to all your your clients
0: so what i'm hearing then is the owner i need to be really concerned about authentication and and protecting passwords strong passwords um are there other concerns that come to mind as as the owner ransomware a
1: lot of attorneys are hit with ransomware and ransomers steal your information often before they hold you for ransom and that's the thing that a lot of attorneys don't think about um because i've seen many law firms even put up out of office messages that say hey we have ransomware we'll get back to you tomorrow that's not cool for your clients. No. (laughs) Yeah, because it means, chances are, their data was stolen too. And the trend that we are seeing in 2020 is that criminals have started to realize that people have better and better backups. And if um, you don't pay them the ransom to get your data back, they will threaten to publish it. And in that case, you've got two options. You can either say, okay, we'll pay the ransom, in which case they could come back to you in six months and say, pay us again, or we'll release it again. You can't trust them. Um, Or you don't pay the ransom and all your data is published. And what does that mean for your clients and your relationships and your status as an attorney? So you really need to protect yourself with ransomware. And you do that with two-factor authentication, super important. Right. And making sure you have a secure method to connect to your data. So for a lot of people who have just poked holes in their network and they're going through RDP, remote desktop protocol, that's not a secure way to do it. Um, there's other better ways to do it, like using a VPN, or you can, if you choose to store your data in the cloud, there are some benefits to that, especially if you use two-factor authentication.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this um... And for those of you listening, if, if you're not completely sure, VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. And we're really talking about um, disguising our location at, at, at times in terms of what servers. When I use my VPN, for instance, I am picking servers in Canada and other parts of the United States. I, I, I could go all over the world if I wanted to. But sure, so you're hiding your location a little bit, but it's also encrypting the data stream. Uh, so that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of any remote connection. Um, and I think it's particularly important in the, the Wi-Fi space. Um, but th- there are a lot of free VPNs available and uh, a lot of other uh, just tiered pricing of all, all kinds of things. Uh, do you have any thoughts about is it, is it unwise to use the free VPNs, as opposed to spending a little bit of money. Um, I I, I hear at times, you know, the VPNs that are free, they may be monitoring and and, uh, monetizing the information, they're learning about what you're doing. Uh, But I, I, I truly don't know, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I mean, in general, there's no such thing as a free lunch in our society, right? Um, If you're not paying for a product, you are the product, so they say. So I would be careful about that. Um, In general, uh, if you, I would get a, an experienced IT person's advice when you're setting up your VPN. I wouldn't do it on your own um, because if you make a little mistake, again, it's it's all your data on the line. There's some pretty serious consequences. Also, consider if you really need a VPN. Are you just trying to get into one computer? And if so, is it just a certain type of data that you need? Um, Personally, I am a proponent. I've become a proponent of using the cloud and I was a slow adopter being a security professional. I was fairly conservative about it. But you have some really strong options like um, Microsoft Office 365 is a great option for attorneys. There's a lot of um, compliance, Uh, there's a lot of regulations that they adhere to um, and you can get them to sign off on that. There's other providers as well that are very good. And again, if you're using that two factor authentication, they have some very advanced security features built in. They are maintaining that software. So I think it takes a lot of the pressure off of small and solo practitioners to just use the cloud. And then you don't have to worry about somebody remoting into your whole computer.
0: You know, one question that comes up every once in a while from from lawyers as as they start to think through some of the things we're talking about, but in the context of ransomware in the cloud, you know, they're learning. And I think for the most part, they have, as a a profession, have a pretty good understanding that, you know, what ransomware does at a basic level and it can infect the network, and this kind of thing. But uh, I, I think some believe one of two things, but first the cloud one is, you know, if I put things in the cloud, I'm safe there because there's this break. Um, would you put that to rest?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you can access it, so can criminals, right? Um, especially because often we see people click on links and phishing emails, their computers get infected, and the criminals will even install ransomware in your cloud drives, like OneDrive. You know, if you can get to it and a criminal has access to your account, then the criminal has access to it. And there are times, in fact, I have a a little video example that we took in our laboratory where criminals will deliberately remote into your computer and use your computer to break into your bank accounts or your email accounts because you have your password saved there. And you don't have, you've clicked like trust this computer. So it's way easier for them than trying to break in from Thailand or Russia or wherever they happen to be.
0: And I I want to respect your time here, Sherry, and the the stuff you're sharing is just uh, awesome, awesome stuff. I I want to just take a few moments and shift a little bit now. So we've talked about some really good security things that that lawyers, business owners, uh, you know, that firm leaders need to be thinking about. And and of course, all of this needs to apply to everybody. Um, But let's talk about the home place. So what, what do I need to think about in terms of making sure my employees do or understand? do Do you have concerns about what the individual is actually doing in their own home.
1: Yes, of course. Um, A big issue that comes up is sharing of computers. So you need to have a clear policy as to whether it's okay to share computers. Is it okay to, have certain types of documents on their personal computers. Remember that personal computers are much higher risk. You are likely to get a virus on a personal computer, especially if multiple people are sharing that. So whenever possible, keep work documents on work systems or systems that are just used for work. And again, the cloud can help you with that. Um, For example, you can allow people to access documents in the cloud and prevent them from downloading those documents. And it's all well and good to tell people that, but ideally you wanna actually implement that that control and prevent them from a technical measure. Uh, We also see people emailing documents to their personal emails, and now it's totally out of your control. It's up in Google somewhere else. You may have violated some policies, especially if you deal with health information. You might have violated some regulations just by putting it up in Google or violated your client's privacy. So maintaining control of your data, especially during these times is absolutely critical. Um, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention mobile device management software. So if you have people using personal devices, you can deploy what we call an MDM. It's a piece of software that allows you to um, have some level of control over that personal device. So if that employee leaves or if the device is stolen, it'll wipe your data from it. It can require that there's a PIN or a passcode set on that device, even though you don't own that device. Um, It can require antivirus software. And that's another one. If you do nothing else, require antivirus software. And you can buy it for employees to use on their home computers if they're using those for work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The the takeaway for me, um, and and there are a lot here, and and we talk about this for hours, but maybe I could.
1: (laughs) I've been talking about it for 20 years.
0: (laughs) Uh, but, but I, I, I do like you know when I think about our confidentiality rules in in law um i, I do think saying you know we really y- y- you can't use a home computer for work that the teenage kids have access to in the evening you know and and the gaming you know i, I it just that's just victim here on on the forehead if you ask me um so it underscores the value of saying. You know, if you had the financial wherewithal that that's supply our employees and staff and you know, associates, whoever uh, may be involved here with company owned equipment, because we can enforce the rules uh, we have control over that. Um, I, I really like that. But I, I, I also think that we need that there's value in having some policies. And then thinking through some of the issues that you just identified and that's have written policies that that staff are well aware of uh you know so that that if they are constantly breaking the rules which is so easy to do because we trust our personal devices do we not we seem to 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 trust our personal devices a little bit more than work devices whether it's because we we know we're not being watched if you will you know in terms of just when you're on a corporate device, you know they, they have the ability to monitor what's happening to the device, that kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think having a policy allows you to monitor, well not monitor, but, but hold people accountable and Absolutely. say, look, if you're not doing something, so.
1: Yeah, a policy is a great first step. And remember, progress, not perfection. I do recognize, especially right now, a lot of people just don't have any other option besides using personal devices. And if you do that, again, that next step is to create a separate account, at least, you know, so you're not sharing the same account as your kids, or as the other people you're working with. And if you can, having a separate device for work is definitely the way to go if you are able to do that.
0: Well, Sherry, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I want to share with our listeners that uh, Sherry has uh, made available some remote work cybersecurity checklists for uh, employees um, and uh, managers. And uh, this isn't live yet, but when it will be, you can click right there and uh, get, get, uh, have access to these. Uh, they're, they're excellent tools. And, and Sherry, thank you very much for making that available to our, our audience. Um, for those of you li- listening today, I hope you have found something of value. Uh, and if you have an idea of a topic that you uh, feel strongly about that you think others would enjoy uh, hearing, uh, or you have uh, a speaker that you'd be interested in seeing if we can uh, have join the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My email address is mbas, mbass, at alpsinsurance.com. And before I close, for those uh, listening uh, to the to the mileage score, you have to go back to earlier podcasts. I'm up to 700 even as of today, so I'm getting there. Uh, that's it. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.